podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Fire for them, fire for them. If you're looking for that 35 bag umbrella and all damn thing there, keep it locked with this Unomics podcast. 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 Yo, what's going on, people? Welcome back to another episode of the Disneynomics podcast. I believe this might be episode 302, but my last episode, I spoke about land value tax, so make sure you check that out. The episode was very simple. Why I think we should replace income tax with land value tax. A sneak peek to that episode, land value tax is when you are taxing people off the value of land. Doesn't They don't care what's built on top of it. It could be a supermarket, it could be a shopping centre, it could be a football stadium. What is the value of the land, right? And then you pay a tax on this land. And the reason for this, in my opinion, which is a great tax method, is because it then helps address the issue with these wild house prices, these wild rental fees, and it also kind of makes society more fairer because people who own land, and there's a few amount of people that own the majority of the land, are gaining ridiculous, obscene levels of wealth from land. So if you want more gist, um, I implore you to check out that episode. It's a very good one. And I think I'll convince you about land value tax. Now, this week's episode, we are talking politics. We are talking immigration, right? So there's been a lot of talk about asylum seekers, illegal migrants, Hotel Rwanda, small boats, so on and so forth. We're speaking on, should asylum seekers have to share hotel rooms? Is this fair? Why the government doing this? Do we actually have an asylum issue? So on and so forth. So, are the government out of pocket for making asylum seekers share hotel rooms? That's coming up next. But first, quick advert break. See you on the flip side. Hi, it's MXM and listen to the Dysonomics podcast because it's late. Yo, what's going on, people? Welcome back to another episode of the Dysonomics podcast. And this week we are discussing the government's immigration policy and how they are going to start trying to basically remove illegal migrants and how they are addressing the current issue now, including making people share hotel rooms. So let's start off the podcast with like the general gist of the matter. The cost of detaining and deporting people arriving in the UK on small boats will cost around six billion across the next two years, according to a government source regarding the project. The Home Office estimates it will have to spend between three and six billion on detention facilities and ongoing accommodation and removals. They've got a bill that they're lining up, a bill where it's like basically a law they're trying to pass through Parliament. This will give ministers the power to remove anyone arriving in the UK illegally. So if you arrive in this country illegally, the government intends to have the legal power to get your ass up out of here. Also, if you arrive in the country illegally, as a migrant, you will now be barred from claiming asylum. Because what well, previously, or currently, you can come to the country illegally, then you apply for asylum. Whether you get it or not, and the dates on that, we'll get onto that at the latter part of this podcast. But that's still an option. Under this new legislation, if you date for here illegally, you have no chance staying here illegally. You will be barred for even applying for asylum. 
The government claimed that they need to act as there's a record number of people arriving in small boats, which is of course also dangerous as well, as, and the cost of asylum seeking in the hotel, the cost of housing asylum seekers in these hotels is costing around seven million. Not per year, not per year by the way, not per quarter, not per month, not per week, per day. It's costing the government seven million pounds per day to house asylum seekers in these hotels, which is a quite frankly ludicrous amount of money. Now, if you extrapolate that number outwards for the year, on the assumption that we're not in a leap year and there's 365 days in a year, that's costing the government two and a half billion pounds just on putting people in hotels alone. That is a massive amount of money. The bill from Prime Minister Rishi Sunak is one of his key foundations of his policies. Like, this is one of his key issues. But it's actually quite contentious. And you would think that it will be contentious from Labour Party, Green Party, so Liberal Democrats. But it's also garnering some concerns from his own party. And it's been strongly criticised in the House of Lords where it's currently being debated. Ministers have not yet explained the level of cost so far. But sources say one of the main, it's going to be one of the main pressures on public spending. So what does this mean? First of all, his own party, and I would say he, I mean the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak, Conservative Party or the ruling party currently, they're not fully on board. Nobody wants to really talk on how much it's going to cost. But what we do know is that it's going to be a significant strain on public finances. So it's going to be a burden for us, the taxpayers. And it's also costs, also concerns of this, of the cost of this bill escalating. According to sources, sources, the Home Office sources hopes the number of people being detained and therefore the cost will come down over time. But the insiders in the Treasury, the Treasury is the department that deals with the government's money, for the public's money, and how the government spends and retrieves it. So Treasury insiders worry that the deterrent effect has not been reliably modelled. So what they say is that, okay, cool. You're saying, okay, this won't cost us as much because we're going to actually stop most of these people coming. But the, but the Treasury, the money people are thinking, okay, you're basing this on the assumption that the deterrent, what you're going to use to dissuade people from coming in here illegally is going to be effective. But we haven't seen a model of this yet. So how do we know? How can we be so sure? You can't. If we talk, if we look at the words of John Fettany, he is the the chief policy analyst at Refugee Council, he said that the Home Office is clearly aware that so-called deterrence means simply don't, so-called deterrence means, so methods that are meant to dissuade people from coming here legally don't work. And it's preparing to detain thousands of desperate people will end up being, will end up on our shores in search of protection. And this is true. When people are desperate to change their economic situation and in much worse cases like where they currently live there is an imminent threat and danger to their existence they're going to take this risk because where they are currently they perceive it to be considerably worse he also goes on to say until refugees fleeing violence and persecution are given a safe pathway to seek asylum in our country they'll continue to risk their lives to get here and i wish i knew the name of this film that i watch and i think i think it's based on a true story of um, like these sisters, I think they might have been fleeing Syria, and because Syria was in trouble, um, and she was like a sprint, um, not sprinter, a swimmer, and she was like a very good swimmer, and she wants to compete in the Olympics. 
Um, I think it was Syria or Iran. But I think because of what was going on, she couldn't compete for her country, but she could compete under, like, I think, like, the rest of the world. It was quite interesting. But seeing what they were willing to do and go through to get here was insane, bro. Risk upon risk. So, he also goes on to say, instead of moving forward with the hugely expensive and unworkable crackdown on refugees seeking safety in the UK, the government should be focusing on creating a system that protects the right to claim asylum and prioritise both compassion and control. Government figured, nah, F that shit, bruv. We just want to stop these men coming in. Period. Period, per. The government claims that they will publish the economic impact assessment of the bill in due course. So we'll wait to see that. And of course, I'll spin the block and give you the gist on that. It's quite interesting because under the proposals in the illegal migration bill, anyone who arrives in the UK on an unauthorised boat across the English Channel will be detained before being removed within weeks, either to their home country or a country deemed safe. A plan to send asylum seekers to Rwanda to make their claims is still facing legal challenges in the courts. And it's interesting because I was speaking to um, somebody who's worked in policy for years and he said that it's interesting because MPs and so on will come to, or ministers will come to him and say, yeah, I want to do this. And he'll be like, um, well, you can't because the law says you can't do that. And they'll be like, okay, but I want to do this. And they'll be like, Mr. Man, Mr. Lady, or Mrs. Lady, you cannot do this because the law says you can't. Okay, he says, okay, make the law say I can. And that's how it kind of gets cracking the politics sometimes. The Home Office says the annual cost of the current asylum system has reached three billion a year. But of course, we are expecting it to reach double that. Now, one contentious thing that's been happening, and you probably guessed it, from the title of this podcast is the issues with hotels. So it's interesting because Robert Jenrick was um, speaking to BBC's Laura Kinsberg on Sunday and he's the immigration minister. And he said that UK has to reduce its reliance on hotels for housing migrants and asylum seekers. He was telling um, listeners of BBC and of course, Laura Kinsberg that the government need to look out for the taxpayers. Okay, fair enough. He claims it's fair and reasonable to ask asylum seekers to share rooms in hotels in certain circumstances. And it's interesting because last week, 40 asylum seekers were offered a place in Pimco Hotel, but they refused to enter after being asked to share four per room. Head of Westminster Council, Adam Hux, expressed his concern in a letter to the Home Secretary saying people who are likely have been through significant and traumatic events were being asked to share in an inappropriately sized room with multiple strangers. The government argues that when using the hotels, is taken away from the local business community. So think of the local economy, do you get what I'm saying? People's weddings and personal events have allegedly been cancelled. And they also got to say, and if so, if a single adult males can share a room and it's legal to do so, which obviously depends on the size of the accommodation, then we'll ask people to do that. And that was from Robert Kenrick, Jenrick, sorry. Now, this is interesting because I'm actually quite conflicted, if you give my opinion. Like, the UK doesn't have unlimited hotel space. And it also costs money. So if you can make people, if you can get people to share, that is more efficient. And that way you can actually start to actually put people in hotels quicker. And you know what I'm saying? But four per room is wild. Unless this is like a wham room, two double beds, do you know what I'm saying? It's a bit wild. 
So it has to depend. I feel like it should be like reasonable, but us, but I don't think like as much as I want asylum seekers to be safe and and be looked after. I don't think it should be a necessity for asylum seekers to have one per room if you're a single man. Do you get what I'm saying? As long as you're not putting men with women, kids kids away from their mothers or kids with adults that they don't know and all that type of stuff, as long as they're safeguarding then I think cool but it shouldn't be inhumane you shouldn't be squashing people up in a room that's kind of nuts Robert Jenrick the immigration minister also added that he believes the UK's asylum project was riddled with abuse and the UK has a perception of being a soft touch now we know the gist regarding what the government want to do with regards to immigration policy going forward we know the gist regarding the hotels and what the government wants to do in terms of sharing and we hear them saying it's too much it's cost it's not cost effective for the taxpayers we're a soft touch there's a lot of abuse of our system let's now look at the data more than 45 people crossed the english channel last year on small boats currently in the uk the uk had currently the uk has a capacity to detain around 2000 people um for immigration purposes so when people come in we currently have facilities to that have 2,000 people detain you and then work out what we're gonna do next. But if 45,000 people are coming through, we don't actually have the facilities to pattern that. The government struck a deal with Albania last December and I find it very interesting. So December 13th, the government struck a deal with Albania to reduce the number of migrants arriving in the UK in small boats. Boats from Albania account for about one third, according to the government, in terms of small boat arrivals in the UK. Prime Minister Rishi Sunak claims that this proposal has already started to deliver. He said that in March they have returned 500 illegal migrants to Albania and they're seeing fewer come as a result. So then let's look at this scheme that the government has coordinated with Albania. So the cooperation agreement signed with Albania December suggests this. Setting up a joint task force to deter and disrupt illegal immigration, migration. The UK agreed to assist with services to support those returning to Albania. The countries will share information to reduce illegal migration and combat human trafficking, which is good, human trafficking. Miss, uh, Mr. Sunak, the Prime Minister, also announced that he wanted to increase the numbers returned to Albania by... Um, increase the numbers returned to Albania by setting up a new unit of staff by 400 specialists to process Albanian cases raising the threshold someone has to meet to be considered a victim of modern slavery, new guidance for case workers that Albania is a safe country, and sending UK border officials to the airport in Tirana, the capital of Albania. So this is interesting because they're going to make it harder for you to claim modern slavery. They're going to make Albania be deemed as a safe country so you can actually be funneled back there. And they've got links to like share information. So let's look at the data in more detail. So if we look at 2022, which is last year, more people arrived, arrived from Albania in small boats than any other country. So in 2020, 50 people arrived from Albania in small boats. In 2021, that number went up dramatically from 50 to 800. So I'm thinking now they're building on the network and seeing, okay, cool, we've got the gist, we've got the pattern, we know how to operate bringing people from Albania into the UK illegally. So remember, 2020, 50 people. 2021, also, there's probably COVID had issues with that as well. 2021, 800. 2022, 12,300. 
So according to official figures, the amount of people coming in illegally on small boats from Albania into the UK accounts for 28% of arrivals in small boats. Now, this is interesting because this is less than what Rishi claims. Rishi claims a third, which is 33%. This is 5% less, but you could say, mm, kind of random half of a third, but mm, I think I'm with the people. Rishi kind of overgassed the situation, but still it's a significant number. It's f- almost three out of 10 people. Many of these people coming across, ironically, are actually single men. I'm going to get onto why probably in a jiffy. So, if we look at small boat arrivals by nationality, January to December 2022, 12,300 were from Albania, 8,600 were from Afghanistan, 4,600 from Iran, 4,300 from Iraq, 2,900 from Syria, 1.9 thousand were from Eritrea, 1,700 from Sudan, 1,100 were from Egypt, 1,000, just over 1,000 were from Turkey, 683 were from India, and then others combined together make 3.3 thousand and 1,961 not recorded. So when people collected the data, the nationality of the person was not recorded. So it could be any of these countries above. 95% of the migrants who arrived in 2022 arrived between the the months of May and October. These numbers became a lot lower in November, 166 in that month, and then 28 in December. So the reason I say this is because this, so the government can't say the drops in the numbers of people coming in is primarily due to the scheme that they signed up with Albania because that was signed on the 13th of December. And we already saw the numbers plummeted in November and in December. If we look at the 12 months to the end of September 2022, a total of 900 Albanians were removed from the UK, with another 4, 469 returning voluntarily. These are the most recent figures that have been published, right? Albanians also re- represent the highest number of foreign offenders sent back in the year to, the, to September 2022. So if you look at people from September 2021 to September 2022 who have been returned back to their country due to being an offender here, the most prevalent was people from the country of Albania. The Home Office also announced that since the 30th of December, more than 500 illegal migrants have returned. That's what I mentioned earlier from the words of Rishi. With more than 500 enforced removals in just under three months, that will be hella. We haven't seen anything close to that for a single quarter since 461 removals between October and December 2016. But then again, if you factor in there being an unusual large amount of people arriving in the country in 2022, that large number becomes more feasible. So we'll give the we'll give them man a blow with that. Some more data that we are made, that we've been made aware of recently is that. On January the 12th, 2023, UK deported 43 people to Albania, 27 of whom which had committed criminal offences according to the Home Office. So over half of them. Now, how many people coming in from Albania are actually coming in from Albania illegally are actually submitting applications to be asylum seekers? Well, 85%, so almost nine out of ten of ten illegal migrants in Albania have submit are submitting asylum applications. However, only 0.7% of them have actually received an initial decision altogether. And none of that 0.7% were granted refugee status or any other type of leave to remain. 
So even though man are signing up the document, sign, I mean, applying for the, using the correct documentation and applying, less than 1% of them are even get, have got a response so far and none of the response have been positive. In general, 53% of claims are accepted. Most, most are, bar, are from women and children, shock horror. So you've got a, probably a 50, 50% chance if you come here legally to get your claim accepted. But then again, if you probably drill down to it, that number is probably heavily driv- driven by women and children. As a man, I would like to know the exact figure. According to the NCA, the National Crime Agency, some, they said some Albanian migrants falsely claim to be victims of trafficking using standard letters to apply for help. So they just pretended, oh, cool, like, yeah, man, I've been trafficking now. Could you, like, help us out so they could come into the UK? 13% of Albanians who arrived in small boats were rewired to the national referral mechanisms for modern slavery. In 2022, the UK received 31,965 visitor applications from Albanian citizens, and they granted 22,359%. Sorry, let me say that again. In 2022, the UK received 31,955 visitor applications from Albanian citizens. They granted 22,359 of them, according to the Home Office figures. So let's do the maths. 22,359 divided by 31,965. So 70% of applications, of these applications were granted. So let's look at the rest of Europe. If we look at January September, the result of initial decisions for Albanian nationals. So France has the most, right? France has over five thousand, five and a half, over um, yeah, over five and a half thousand, and they rejected the majority of them, the overwhelming majority of them. Maybe like two fifty were accepted. Germany had like one thousand seven hundred fifty. Like I wish you lot could see the data. Literally, almost ninety nine percent of them were rejected. The UK, we saw the UK numbers, less than a thousand, and I will say 40% were rejected. Italy, even a half, half the total amount of UK, and again, similar numbers to us, 40% rejected. Belgium had less than the, all of us, and Belgium, like hardly anyone, again, even less, less than Germany, like 99% of no man get rejected. Greece, straight up, no. Everybody, Greece have the actually third largest. France has the most um, applications, then Germany, then Greece. Greece, nobody, nobody got granted. Ireland is interesting because Ireland, everybody got, like almost everybody got granted. Sweden have a small amount, nobody got granted. Spain, Vaitre, Manuscu amount. And then, yeah, that's it for Europe. This is very interesting uh, tidbit as well. So on December last year, Kirakio Kwako, the Albanian ambassador to the UK, said, told MPs that some Albanian migrants come to UK to seek out business opportunities. He also claimed that some pretended to be victims of modern slavery. And that's probably why you see a lot of men come in here to try to probably to try and make money and give back to their family. Speaking before the same committee, um, Balkan's expert Andy Hoxai estimated that around 40% of people leave Albania for economic opportunities. Three decades after the collapse of Enver Haxa's dictatorship and the opening of Albanian borders, about 60% of the country's adult population wanted to leave, according to Gallup Poll published in December 2018. For, these are the reasons why people want to leave. 
corruption, low salaries, poor working conditions, and low standard of life. Quality of life is the main reasons. So it's pretty simple. These people are not living in the greatest conditions. They have low opportunities. There's a lot of corruption. So people at the top are eating. They want to move to another country and they're willing to take the risk, coming illegally, maybe pretend that they're victims of human trafficking or modern slavery. So yeah, it, this one's a tricky one because I'm a compassionate person, so I'm pro-migration. But at the same time, the UK's also got to protect its labour force. So you don't really want your people from your country to lose that in terms of job opportunities so on and so forth. But at the same time, I feel like Western countries, especially who of course inflicted so much harm on the world and they have surplus in terms of resources, should be able to, within reasonable means, house asylum seekers. But the hotel one tricky because it's costing 2.5 billion a day. Like, what do you want for more from the government? How else? Because the money has to come from somewhere. So the one thing I am not with the government is like increasing the standard. Well, I need to look into, let me look into the details of what the current standard is and then see what we're trying to increase it to to see if that, okay, cool. We were being overly lenient where the system was open to abuse, but I just don't want us to have a system where people who are actually being victims of human trafficking are not granted asylum that they deserve. So yeah, that's it from this week's pod. I'd love to hear your thoughts, people. Let me know. And yeah, you'll catch me with the week on the flip side, man. Take it easy. Peace and blessings. Bow. Sports Social Podcast Network.